<laughs> yeah, give him a give him a hand right now. <laughs> well, well, I think I'm up here to teach. I hope I'm right there with that one. All right, you got a Bible? Why don't you turn with me, please? <laughs> To Genesis chapter, we're going to pick up in 17, where we didn't look at some passages last week, and then jump into 18, actually, and then next week jump into some of 18. So, if you would, just turn Genesis 17, and as you turn there, we're in a series in this book of Genesis, the book of beginnings called Friendship with God, if you're just joining us. In this... For tonight, I want us to begin with this thought. You may have heard this quote by A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. I don't know if you've thought that clearly about what you think about God, But I think he's right that whatever you think about God, that's your most important thought. And so uh, I want to focus that actually one step even more. What comes into our minds when we think about God in difficult circumstances is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God in the midst of what's hard in your life. That'll tell a whole lot about you. What do you think about God when life is hard? What do you think about God when it seems like it's impossible? It's the situation that we have Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 17. Here's context real quick. Genesis chapter 12, God had said, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply you and you're going to fill the earth. And through you, Abram and your descendants, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. He was 75. His wife was 65. It was a great promise. The fly in the ointment was they didn't have any children. And now at age 99... The promise remains, but he still has no children. What's your most important thought about you? Your thought about God when? In difficult, seemingly impossible circumstances. So, Genesis chapter 17, let's look at Abraham's thought about God in that difficult circumstance. Verse 15, then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, this is before her name, as her name is being changed, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And here's why. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And what does Abraham think about God in that moment? Verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and worshiped. Oh no. Fell on his face and and laughed. Does that tell you what he thought about God in that moment? Yes or no? Yeah, that tells you what he thought about God in that moment. He fell on his face and laughed. Sarah, next chapter, doesn't tell us how much after chapter 17 this is. It's less than a year, though. In chapter 18, three men come to see Abraham. And the scripture identifies that one of them is the Lord. And so they're meeting with Abraham, and in chapter 18, verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Why? 
Because if the Lord shows up, you want to eavesdrop. <laughs> Correct? I mean, this isn't strange. Well, what are they talking about? What's he saying? And she hears him say, she's going to have a son. And Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. How old? 99 and 89. Uh, Sarah was past childbearing. And so Sarah laughed, not out loud, to herself. Abraham fell on the floor laughing. Sarah laughs to herself. Why? Come on, folks, why? Because she's eavesdropping. She can't laugh out loud. That would give her away. So she has to snicker <laughs> to herself. And she says to herself, laughing to herself, after I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why'd Sarah laugh? She didn't laugh quite enough to herself. Or he has really good ears. Which do you think it was? He has really good ears. Who was it? The Lord. Why'd Sarah laugh? Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm old, so old? Is anything, now who's speaking here? The Lord. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year. And Sarah, period, will, period, have, period. You know how you do that to really make a point? Will have a son. Now, look up from your text, if you would. If you're looking at 14 there. So you know what I'm talking about. Look up here, if you would. Is this a question? Well, it's got a question mark after it. So you go, well, of course it's a question. But you have, and I have, and I think the Lord has made a statement in the form of a question. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No. Not, mm, no, 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 no. He's making a statement. Why? Because she had laughed. And Abraham had fallen on the floor laughing. It reveals what they think about God. But God, because then, remember, never forget, we're in Genesis. This, this is the book of beginnings. We read it through the lens of everything we know about after this. But give Abraham and Sarah a bit of a break here, if you would, and go, they didn't have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua, and all the stuff that had that. They had a 99-year-old and an 89-year-old being told you're going to have a son next year. <laughs> Come on! And so this is, as Genesis is, this is God introducing himself. And what's he saying? Nothing is too difficult Nothing is too difficult for me. And he doesn't say it. Tozer comes back afterwards. But you get here, Abraham and Sarah, what you think about me in these moments are your most important thoughts. And you just revealed what your, most, what your thoughts are thus far by your laughing. And you need to know something. Nothing is too difficult for me. See, he is elevating, and, and I hope this will be true for you tonight, that this will begin or continue a, le, a, a life long for every person tonight, a lifelong journey of the greatness of God increasing, increasing. Because as much as you think God is great tonight, guess what? He's greater. And as much as you think he'll be great next year, he'll be greater. Because he is greater than we can ever imagine. Nothing, really nothing, like nothing, nothing is too difficult 
for him. So as we elevate the greatness of God, especially as we think about it in the face of our difficulties, let's establish three key theological points about God and his greatness. First, he will do, the scripture says, whatever he pleases. That's not an interpretation. That's an exact quote right out of Psalm 115 verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So if we want to grow in our greatness of God, we start at that point. Whatever, whatever he pleases, that's what he does. Second, he'll do everything he promised. He does whatever he pleases. He'll do everything he promised. Everything. Everything he promised he'll do. Numbers frames it in these questions. Numbers 23. Uh, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he'll not do it? You know somebody like that? Sure, all of us have interacted with folks who have said and then they didn't do. Can I have your eyes? That will never, ever be true about God. And you go, I know, I know, I know. Do you, do you know that in the midst of your most difficult, extreme, seemingly impossible circumstances? That he will never say and then not do. If he said it, he'll do it. Or has he spoken and he'll not make it good? Paul tells Timothy, if we're faithless, he remains faithful for this reason. He can't deny himself. He can't say one thing and then do another. Uh, that would be going against himself. By his nature, he can do whatever he pleases. And by his nature, he does everything he has promised. Here's the asterisk. He doesn't do everything we want. Right? You don't need a bunch of Bible verses on that one, do you? <laughs> you all know that one. Yeah, I know that one. He does whatever he pleases, everything he promises, but not everything we want. Okay? Now, again, think of this as creating your thoughts about God in difficult circumstances, because that's what's happening in our text. And ask yourself, Think about what's hard in your life, maybe right now. Think about maybe even what's going on in our world. COVID. Politically. Hmm. Are your first thoughts about everything going on about God? Is this where you go? He can do whatever he pleases. He'll do everything he said. I'm not going to get everything I want. See, are these the thoughts that you're thinking? This is, this is what God is revealing himself to Abraham as and Sarah because they're not their first thoughts. Their first thoughts are he fell on his face and he laughed. He said, well, child be born to a man 100 years old and with Sarah who's 90 years old bear a child? Come on, that's, that's ridiculous. What'd she say? Sarah laughed saying, after I become old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also? You see, when it comes to our thoughts about God and what he can do and what he will do in the midst of our difficulty, they reveal, I believe, a lot about us. In this sense, you blame them for laughing and not like, ha ha ha, that is so funny. You're a good one, God. No, that's, the, the laugh is not a joke laugh. That's a, a, a scoff. It's a, the laugh of dismissal. See, they, they represent 
for us. And you ask yourself, to what degree is this true for you? That, that when you hear God can do anything and, and God will do everything he promised, and then you think about your difficult circumstance, it's often easy to just go, yeah, but, but, but not this time, not this case. Yeah, I know, but keep it real. In the past two years, I've had a really difficult circumstance. And I've been challenged to say, I know God can do anything, but I don't really see it happen in this one. Do you think that? I know God could change anybody, but this guy... I know, I know God can heal, but this such I mean, they're, they're like really gone. See, we are tempted to, to have our own laughter, that dismissal of, that's a little unreasonable. Let's not get crazy here. I, I know God, and it's always the next word, but, and then we, we think of the unreasonable, and then we do what Abraham did. Do you know what Abraham does it, when he dismisses the unreasonable? Really? 190? Get real, God. Well, you know what he does? All that Ishmael might live. What's that mean? That, that 100-year-old, 90-year-old stuff, that's impossible. That's unreasonable. But come on, we have a, we've got a boy here already. Let's just work with what we got. Right? I mean, that's how it all started. And that's exactly, maybe you don't see yourself clearly yet in this picture. But I see myself in this picture. My propensity to dismiss the unreasonable and then be quick to offer God some reasonable alternatives. Because he needs them. Lord, have you thought about this? God, this would work too. God, I know you could do anything, but, but this seems a little bit more feasible. Come on, have you ever offered God a reasonable alternative to your difficult, impossible circumstance? Even though you, you know <laughs> he can do the impossible. And then when God calls you on it, like he called Sarah on it, what do you do? <laughs> I didn't laugh. And I love it. No, you did. Said who? The Lord. No, you did. Nice try. That all to yourself doesn't work with me. We dismiss the unreasonable. We offer alternatives. And then we deny that we really doubt it. I I wasn't really doubting the Lord. See, I hope, I hope this is happening in your heart. I just cannot love the scripture enough. Especially like historical narrative. Because it's so easy to see myself in the mirror of this book. To see my own fears, my own doubts, my own foolishness just get played out right in front of me. And to see in this section of scripture what friendship with God really looks like. And wherever we are in that friendship with God, that learning to know who he really is so that our thoughts about him, those most important thoughts that we have, our thoughts about him in impossible, difficult circumstances. So, 
how do I increase my confidence and trust in God? Because some of you, you may go, you know, Doug, I really am trying to engage with the text, but quite frankly, I don't have really anything hard, difficult, impossible going on in my life. Well, great. Just wait a while. True? True. I don't say that like flippantly or silly. It's like, just wait a while. All of us get to take our turns. And frankly, it seems like some people get more turns than others. But all of us get our turn on learning to increase our confidence and trust in God when things just seem totally impossible, so hard, like no way out. So how do we increase that confidence, that trust in God? Well, first, I want to start with where we ended with Sarah. Why'd she laugh? I didn't. Yeah, you did. I want to start with doubt. We have to we have to start with doubt. If we're going to grow in confidence, we have to start with doubt. And is it legitimate? So let me paint the picture for you from Mark chapter 9. Life of Jesus. He's been with three of his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's glowed in front of them. They came down. They had this marvelous and that experience Jesus and Peter, James, and John. And they come off the mountain and there's a crowd gathered And there's a father who is like pretty juiced. And he's juiced because his son, well, here's what it says about his son. Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. It has often thrown him into both the fire and in the water. Why? To destroy him. Now, he's talking to to Jesus about his son who has all this destructive behavior because of a spirit in him. And he's juiced about it because he had brought him to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he said, hey, you're his disciples. Get rid of the spirit. And they tried and couldn't. But now Jesus is there, so he explains the situation to him. Pretty hopeless. Imagine that's your son. That changes it, doesn't it? So he describes the situation, and then he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, who's speaking there? Dad to Jesus. If you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. Help my boy. Help us. It's killing us and it's going to kill him. Help us if you can. And Jesus goes, if you can. If you can? What's he saying? I can. If I can, all all things are possible to him who believes. And the man, now watch, this is where I hope you'll connect. The man does what Sarah would not. I do believe, help my unbelief. See, can you see yourself in that mirror? Where you believed and then you didn't believe. And then you believed and then you didn't believe. And then you believed about this situation and then you didn't believe about this situation. And then you did believe and then you stopped believing. You ever been that honest with the Lord? I do believe, but I don't believe enough. Not as in and enough as in enough. I do believe, but then I doubt. I think he can, and then I think, oh, he can't. Nothing can help that. I mean, look at him, all stiff and scarred. I believe, I don't believe. 
How do you grow, increase your trust, your confidence in God? It might seem strange, but it all begins by just being honest and acknowledging what the man did and go, I do doubt. I do have my fears. I, I do. I know I shouldn't. I wish I didn't, but I do. And sometimes they're really large in my life. Now, is that just once in scripture? I did a quick review, quick, just of some opening psalms. Psalm chapter three, verse one. Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Psalm 10, why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's real, isn't it? You allowed to write that stuff and get it in the Bible? Yeah, look, have you guys, everybody doubts. Everybody has their fears. Everybody hits that cliff that they go, ooh, that's bigger than I'm ready for. Everybody. The beauty of the Psalms is this. Do a little fun study this week. And go back and read how Psalm 3, how Psalm 10, and how Psalm 13 end. Because there's a huge difference between how it begins and how it, how it ends. Why? Because we grow in our trust and our confidence in God by just honestly admitting where we're afraid, where we're struggling, where we're doubting. And that's what the psalmist does. If you're going, oh, what were they? It's real easy. 3, 10, 13. 3 plus 10 is 13. You got it? 3, 10, 13. It's how they start versus how they finish. And I was like, okay, three examples, that's enough. And all I got to was Psalm 13. There's probably, no, strike that. There's lots more. Which ought to make you ask yourself then, what's in between? What's been between where they started and and then how they finished? Because I can relate to how they started, but I'm not always with them by the time they finish. Now, again, you're going to have to go back and read 3, 10, 13. Not now, though. Here's what you'll discover in one way or another. We increase our trust and God by admitting our doubts and fears and then continually reviewing what God has promised. Now, here, I'll just let you in a little bit of my own processing of this passage. It was seeing her doubt and her unwillingness to admit it, admit it compared to the man in Mark 9 and his willingness to admit it that led me to Psalms. But what started me on this point is this. Every time God appears to Abraham from 75 until 99, you know what he does every time he appears to him? He he reminds him again of his promises. There's, There's a point in that. We we should take the example of what God does for Abraham and go, huh, that's probably what I need. I need to do what God did for Abraham. I need to continually, every time I'm faced with my difficult circumstances, every time I'm faced with my fears or my challenges, guess what? I can admit it. But don't stop there. And then review the promises. Do you have a playlist? Like on your phone? You know what a playlist is? 
And of course, every young person's gone, uh, uh, who doesn't know what a playlist is? And some of you are going, a, a playlist? What do you mean a playlist? I got my albums. A playlist is simply the capacity to take all the favorite songs off of your album and make your own. What you wish you could have done but never could before. It's, a, it's saying, I'm going to take my favorite things and put it all together. Not what they decided their greatest hits were, but what I decided their greatest hits were. It's a playlist. When I saw what God did for Abraham, I thought, I've never, I've never envisioned it this way, but I have a favorite playlist. I have my, my very important promises playlist. I'd never written it down before, but when I saw this, I started just writing down areas and, and then the fr- I didn't Google it. I didn't use a commentary. I didn't look in a book, The Promises of God in Difficult Times. I simply went, when things happen, what, what passages come to my mind? What's on my playlist? And here's the great thing about it. You can listen to my playlist and then go, I like mine better. Sweet. That's why it's yours. So all I want to do is maybe encourage you to create your own playlist by simply when I sat at my desk and went, when I think about these areas, here's the scriptures that just immediately come to mind. When I think about the promises of God on salvation, as many as received and to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, I've played that playlist way, 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 many times. And when it comes to assurance of salvation, uh, you've probably heard me say this lots and lots of times from Ephesians 1. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, which is with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is where? In his Son. He has the Son has the life. He who doesn't have the Son of God doesn't have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. When it comes to worry, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will, or comprehension, sorry, wrong translation, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's not a question, that's a... That's a statement. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Not a question, a statement. What are you? You're worth a lot more than them. And when it comes to fear, this hung on my desk for three years in Bible college. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be anxiously look about you. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And when it comes to money, I didn't always believe this. But what a difference. When I came to understand the promises of God, for those who give, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything for what? For all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God, to temptation 
No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to bear it. His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, to difficult circumstances. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over us for all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Endurance And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's a sickness. We don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And death, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Make your own playlist. Verses, verses that, that, that speak to what your heart of doubt and fear need in the moment. There's lots of other ones. Lots of other ones. One of the things I appreciate about Matt when we, he leads us in worship, sometimes he'll put up something from the Psalms and I'll think, wow, how, how do I not know that verse? Everybody needs a VUP, VIP playlist of very important promises. Everybody. Everybody. And the beauty of that is that it's available to you. And if you're really hearing me, people who have their favorite playlist, when they play it and you're with them, what do you notice they can do with every song? They can sing along. I've noticed my two-year-old granddaughter, Piper, can sing of her, some of her daddy's favorite songs. And I go, I'm not sure a two-year-old should be listening to that song. <laughs> I was going to quote one for you, and then I looked it up, and I went, mm, no, I'm not going to admit to that one. <laughs> my point, two-year-olds can memorize somebody else's favorite playlist. There's no reason that you, would, that you would think tonight, oh, well, you're a pastor, you should have your favorite playlist, you should you know it. Everybody gets to have one. So that you, you just know when things come, what's your most important thought in that moment? Your thought about God. And his word, as he's revealed himself, that's your most important thought in that moment. So make it and review it. Don't deny your doubt. Admit your doubt. Don't deny your fear. Admit your fear. To go, I I acknowledge. I believe and then I don't believe. And so I do what God did for Abraham. I remind myself of the promises of God that relate to my particular doubt. And then this, 
we expand our database of God doing the impossible. We expand our database. You know what I mean by that? Do you know of any time where God did the impossible? Do you? Okay, do you have a database? It's like, I hope so. Right, I mean, think, think in two buckets. First bucket. Think of, think of what's your database of God doing the impossible as it's revealed in Scripture? Do you have your favorite things that come up? You can speak up, Jeff. Yeah, we're Thursday night. Go ahead. He put his hand up. Let there be light. Yes, that's my first one too. And there was light. Who speaks light into existence? Ben, sorry, not you. God. Let there be light. Creation is the reminder, the incredible reminder that God does the impossible. It's one of my favorites. The magnitude to the detail. And the knife, the no-fly zone in Exodus, where one of the plagues that God puts upon the Egyptians is flies that just swarm them. But he, he commands the flies not to fly in Goshen where the Israelites live. I, I just absolutely love that because I go, who gets to go fly, fly there? I mean, how many times have you done this over your food? And you just want to, don't fly on the chicken. But you don't have that power. But God said, fly all there. Nope, not there. And they didn't. That's one of my favorite. It seems so small, but it's absolutely one of my favorite. God does the impossible. Do you have like a talking bush? One of my all-time most important stories in the Bible because scared out of my mind to talk in front of people, God talked through a bush. Do you have them? Is it David, the shepherd boy, killing a giant? Or Daniel, hanging out with lions? Or three guys and an angel in a fire, but don't smell like smoke? The scripture is full of them. But you have your database that when you think of the impossible in your life, you go, yeah, but, yeah, but. And you remember what has been revealed. If you don't spend any time in the Old Testament, your database is way too small. Now think of second bucket. First bucket, God doing the impossible in the scriptures. But here's Here's what I didn't get enough of growing up, and that's this. He didn't stop doing the impossible once the scriptures were closed. Does he still do the impossible? And that database, not to take any way, anything away from what God did the impossible in the scriptures, it's that database that sometimes encourages me even more, because it's easy to look at the Bible and go, what? Oh, that's the Bible. That was Jesus, and of course, he healed the person. But then when God heals Julie in our church, and God heals Rebecca, who led you in worship, when God heals Rebecca in our church, and it's unmistakable, she wasn't faking it, and it wasn't like I felt a little better, but now it was like I literally felt the pain leave my body. That's in my database, and it encourages me to believe God to do the impossible. 
Every time I need to remember the greatness of God, I read John Piper's article on the marvelous majesty of rain. I've shared it with this church about a jillion times, but I'll never grow tired of him describing how in the world rain falls from the sky and actually waters us, but doesn't crush us. It's amazing. And apart from it, I would have never thought about rain being amazing. But that article is one of those things that reminds me, God, every afternoon in Florida (laughs) shows he still does the impossible. To a missionary doctor named Hella Roservier in the center of Africa. He's got a a young baby who's going to die because it was born premature and then then the mom died. And they said, with the cold nights, it sounds funny, the cold nights in Africa, if we don't have a water bottle, a hot water bottle to keep this baby alive, she's going to die. And so she says, I I tell these children about the little girl and a nine-year-old says, well, let's ask God for a water bottle, a hot water bottle. And Helen Roosevelt, you know what she does? She laughs. She laughs and she says to herself, her version of what Sarah said to herself, I've been to Africa for five years and I've never received a package. And if somebody did send a package to the equator in the middle of Africa, who's including a hot water bottle? And that afternoon, as she had never received before, there was a box, a package from America on her doorstep. And when she opened it up, right there was a hot water bottle delivered by God to the center of Africa. And when Tim and Andrea Ullam commended missionaries from this church had spent years preparing to to learn culture and to learn language. And they're finally on their way to Indonesia and they get to Los Angeles only to discover that because of terrorist acts and now a travel advisory, all these years of preparing and waiting, they can't get, they're stuck in Los Angeles. And they would have despaired except there was a complete stranger in the airport in Dallas who walked up to them and handed them a note that said, I saw over you a cloud and alternately a hand. It did not seem to be a cloud of oppression as some might see it, but rather the hand of the Lord for protection, a sheltering until the appointed time, a waiting for the fullness of time. If these things bear witness with your spirit, let them encourage you to wait on God. And they read it on the plane in Dallas and went, that's weird. And they got to Los Angeles and got the word. It had been shut down. They couldn't go. And they pulled the note out that a complete stranger. And it bore witness exactly with their situation. What's in your database? Do you have have in your heart and your mind those real life now, not just Bible, and I'm not dismissing the Bible ones, but real life now stories of thoughts that go, God still does the impossible. Expanded. Mine got expanded. Our staff's database got expanded last week. We're in staff meeting. And one of our staff members shares about a really hard situation in their life. And we are experiencing the hard with them. And then totally unsolicited, totally surprised, another staff member speaks up and shares her story of God meeting her in her impossible situation And my database got a little bit bigger. And I said, Becky, I want you to share with the congregation what you shared with staff so that 
our database would be encouraged and expanded. Good morning. My husband Mitch and I have been blessed with four amazing children. And right after our youngest was born, our third child, Lauren, who was two at the time, became very sick. She ended up having emergency surgery and spending five days in the hospital awaiting a diagnosis. Right before her release, we learned the cause of her illness, Lyme disease. Initially, doctors thought it would be an easy fix, a month of antibiotics, and she would be back to normal. We all learned quickly that this was not the case for Lauren. After visiting specialist after specialist, it was proven that Lauren's case was much more complicated. These doctors had never seen such a positive test result for this illness, and her symptoms were complex, and her prognosis was not good. They did not extend a lot of hope for a normal life for our sweet girl. By three, Lauren was not talking. When she would attempt to go outside to play like a normal child, ride a bike, or run around with friends, 15 minutes of play resulted in her having to lay down and rest for hours. Soon it was clear that cognitively she was not developing normally either, and she would have major problems with future education. Doctors could not promise that Lauren would be able to live life, dance, play sports, pain-free. Some said she would always be dealing with exhaustion, headaches, mental fogginess, and joint pain. They hoped things would get better, but they could not promise us anything. What initially looked like a struggle for a few months turned into nine years of doctor's visits, blood draws, medical tests, medicine, supplements, treatments, and therapies. It was exhausting. In the midst of it, two main things comforted us and challenged us. One, the truth that God loved Lauren more than I ever could, and I love her a lot. But he knew her needs better than I did and knew that what she truly needed. This fact took a lot of pressure off me, knowing that I could entrust her to the one who knew exactly what she needed at all times. I didn't have to fix everything myself. I could ask for help, and he would tell me what I needed to do. The second thing was believing that even this, God could be glorified. Even in the hard, God is working, and we can choose to live in despair, be filled with anxiety, anger, and resentment. Or we can choose to trust Him and believe that He is working for our good and His glory. It changed my perspective and how I responded in the difficult bumps in the road of this journey. I also knew that people were watching how I would respond. Amidst the anxious and uncertain times, what was my countenance? Was I trusting the Lord and seeking His help, or was I consumed with worry, frustration, and anger? I knew that God could use a situation, could even use me, to minister to other people. We came into contact with countless doctors, nurses, technicians, therapists, and other families dealing with the same illness. Would my interactions honor God? Would I put Christ on display? Who would I glorify? I can tell you today that I did not always respond perfectly, but I do know that God has used the situation in my life to help and encourage others. I've been able to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort I have received from God. 2 Corinthians 1.4 He has used an impossible situation for my good, the good of others, and His glory. I can say with thankfulness that Lauren is now five years symptom-free, The girl who couldn't play for 15 minutes without pain and exhausting herself can now run a half marathon. The girl who could not talk or articulate correctly her thoughts last year flew to the Philippines to share God's truth and hope with thousands of children. And she's a shining light on her cross-country team, loving and serving her teammates, making an impact for the kingdom. Does God work in impossible situations? Absolutely. God is good, He is faithful, He works in the hard, He loves us completely, and He can be trusted. Amen. While we stand together, declare this. I will rest in your promises, my confidence. Is your faithfulness I will 
in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I count on one thing the same God that never fails will not fail me now won't fail me now and in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out working all things out oh yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will bless your name things as we go on in our week here that we don't be afraid to, to say that I have some doubts and I have some fears here and we let's continually remember those promises of God revealed in scripture and increase our database of those stories of how God has worked in your life and others tell people the story remind yourself of the story it really it increases our faith whether we're in the storm right now or whether the storm's coming we can trust in him to lead us through it so, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word changes our lives. 
Thank you that we can read of the God of the Bible and know that the God of the Bible is still here with us, cares for us, is holding our hand through every storm. Lord, thank you that we get to call you a loving Father. Would you be with us this week? Would you remind us, whether through your word or through a friend, of your promises? In your name we pray. Amen. So glad that you are here. Thanks for joining us on the live stream today. We're going to do our Q&A uh, like usual. Tony's going to do that. If you've got some questions about uh, from, from the message, you can text that number. If you're in north, you can feel free to come over here. You don't have to stay in here. But we're going to do that. If you're on the live stream, hang on. We'll be a minute or two, and we'll be into the Q&A. You guys have a great week. Thanks for coming.